This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. With Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Hi, you are listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm Rob Brown, along with your co-host, Martin Bissett. We give you, as accounting practitioners, CPAs, accountants, bookkeepers, and the fintech people that serve them, sell to them, sell to them. We give you critical insights, best practice, expert interviews, market intelligence, practical here's what works tips, and occasional rants on the accounting and fintech world. The audience is accountants, CPAs, together with the networks, associations, vendors, and influencers who lead them, serve them, work with them. The full show goes live every Monday with daily segments featuring the news, special guest interviews, rants and practical here's what works sessions. So to stay informed, to stay current, and even gain an edge in the accounting fintech world, this is your commercial podcast of choice. Thank you for joining us, and let's get on with the show. It's the news, and we're looking at what changes, what stays the same. We've got a great piece today, Martin. Tell us a bit about it. Accounting today uh, has got a piece um, which is, and I, I hate getting names wrong, so I apologise if I get the author's name wrong here. I think it's Rene Lessert. I think it's soft C, not the Kurt. I think it's Lessert. Rene Lessert. Three accounting trends that won't go out of style. That's a great title, isn't it? Actually, we're all probably thinking of our own trends right now. Things that will never change in accounting. But you've got to wonder if the, the, they never go out of style. How can they be a trend? Well, true enough. But there we are. So. Our, our writer, Renee, says, my passion for accounting is a mix of nature and nurture. It is literally in my DNA because my grandmothers were accountants. And the night I was born, my mom had been sorting out punch cards to manage the general ledger for the large defence contractor uh, in Washington, D.C. She's got the pedigree. <laughs> and that's, been, that's right. Uh, with the past two years, have brought one massive change after another. I believe the accounting profession, love the fact we said profession, not industry, has more opportunity than ever before. I think that's true, too. By meeting clients' emerging needs, adding more value through insight and improving their quality of life through technology. No arguments so far. And so Renee then goes on to outline the three particular trends or aspects um, that won't go out of style. And the first one is that accounting is still, in parentheses, the language of business. Um, and uh, they say, one of, the, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got is accounting is the language of business, and if you want a career in business, you need to learn it. Accounting remains one of the most versatile and most needed skills. It ensures our financial markets run smoothly. It unlocks career opportunities across every industry, especially as new skills like data analytics and remote communication come into our everyday work. It will be the numbers behind the business that drive the true insights of tomorrow. And I can't disagree with that. I have no chuckle with it either. We do hear it a lot. Whether accountants utilize that phrase, that trend, that assertion in communicating that to business owners is another thing. But yes, if you want to get a handle on business, you should get a handle on them. Yes, the, the true insights of tomorrow is the phrase that I liked. And it makes me think, what's the difference between the insights of tomorrow and the true insights of tomorrow? What's the difference between those two things? We could maybe add to it as well, though. It's not just the numbers. It's telling the stories behind the numbers. It's being able to analyze the numbers and make good strategic decisions. That's where the accountant becomes integral. Yeah, I mean, I think as Renee's pointed out, uh, data, data analytics is now coming into everyday work of accountants. Uh, number two, Renee says that behind every great entrepreneur is a great accountant. Okay. No entrepreneur starts a business with dreams of managing the back office. Okay. But mismanagement of the house can leave you with major problems. Okay. Cash flow is like oxygen to a small business. Okay. 
Uh, for example, accountants may be the first to realize that a specific product is starting to see a surge in demand or to spot a historical trend that is no longer proving to be reliable. I've got a challenge with this one, Rob. Let's have at it, Martin. <laughs> well, there, there is no question. There's no question that entrepreneurs don't start with dreams of managing the back office. That I agree with 100%. Uh, and that cash flow is like oxygen to small business. Absolutely right. No concern whatsoever. But an accountant may be the first to realize a specific product is starting to see a surge in demand. That is suggesting that a run-of-the-mill accounting firm is familiar with the line-by-line -line sales performance of one of their clients' businesses. Yeah, it's a high level of intimacy, isn't it? That It, it is. And while I am sure it is true uh, in individual cases, I wouldn't put it as a generalization at all. I think the very issue for small business owners is that their accountants don't know what it is they do. In fact, we've had two years of reporting back from accountants in a global pandemic that said, we're so much closer to our clients now. We understand what they're trying to do now, which is code for we weren't close to our clients historically and we didn't know what they did. So I think for that, while, it, while it's certainly viable, and I think and I, you know that will always be needed, the thing that won't go out of uh, fashion is the great accountant providing insights to business. I agree with that 100%. But behind every great entrepreneur is a great accountant. Uh, not so sure. And just deep in on that, diving on that entrepreneur word, we've said before on this show, Martin, that accountants in needing to develop more business awareness and commercial acumen need to be thinking more like entrepreneurs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it, Renee says accountants and bookkeepers can often see red flags or opportunities for business models, from expense management to people issues. Of course, 100% agree. But do I agree with the headline um, that a great accountant is behind every great entrepreneur? No, I think the entrepreneur often has to figure it out for themselves. And that's why management consultants exist. And this is why good accountants are worth their weight in gold, because entrepreneurs are not thinking like accountants. They don't want to do that stuff. And accountants are not thinking like entrepreneurs. They either don't want to do that stuff or they can't do that stuff. They're not built that way. They're in a technical profession. So if you can get a marrying of both in a relationship that really works, then that's a successful business. Yeah. If every great entrepreneur had a great accountant behind them, you wouldn't have a consulting industry. Yeah. So that may be a trend that they can aim towards. But for the moment, we're saying she's on one out of two so far. Yeah. And number three, doing more of what you love with less pain, which is put into parentheses. So it reads, uh, do more with less. Is that a trend or is that an aspiration? Well, Renee says the great resignation has hit every industry. Mm, okay. But perhaps more importantly, the great reevaluation has led us all to focus more on what truly matters. Now, that's a great point. The great reevaluation. Re uh, I think that's a great point. We have seen a huge amount of both statistical and anecdotal evidence that people have changed their life priorities post-COVID, that people have changed their career priorities post-COVID. So I think there's a lot of merit in that point. Time is more precious than ever. It's kind of the same. Um, and while accountants are no strangers to the concept of doing more with less, when it comes to crunching not to meet a deadline, I see the concept differently now. Interesting that Renee writes, I see the concept differently now, not accountants that do. Doing more with fewer resources is no longer viable and shouldn't be the goal. Instead, Renee suggests, accountants are making the concept work for them by investing in digital transformation and letting technology take over routine or manual tasks like chasing paper in search for the elusive, the elusive single version of the truth. Now, I can't disagree with that at all. Uh, I can't disagree. Doing more with future resources shouldn't be the goal. Agreed. Accountants are making the concept work by investing in digital transformation. Agreed. So armed with new flexibility, in our closing uh, argument here, okay, armed with new flexibility, Renee argues that accountants can do more of what they love, contributing their unique insights to the success of the business, 
all with less pain and headaches. As a concept, I agree with Renee 100% as a reality. They can do it. Yes, they can do it. But in reality... Yeah, they, they can do it. But guess what? They don't want to. Many, many, many firms, and here's a controversial moment in, in our recording history, Rob, many, many firms don't care about their clients. And the proof of that is? And the proof of that is the 100,000 listeners we just lost as a result of me saying that. <laughs> uh, the, the proof of that is, is first-hand experience. Uh, knowing full well that... Uh, 25 years of consultancy has led me to managing partners' offices all around the world who don't know the first thing about what's going on with the clients, never spoken to them since the moment signed them up. Their, their senior managers are, are there purely to carry out instruction, not to provide any kind of insight whatsoever. So Renee's point, armed with new flexibility, accountants can do more of what they love. That's absolutely true. Um, but, but Renee argues that what they love is contributing their unique insights to the success of the business. Some accountants excel in doing that. But as a generalization, I think that's demonstrably false. Yeah. So just wrapping this up, Martin, we, this is three accounting trends that won't go out of style. The school part for Renee is that number one, accounting is the language of business. Full marks for that one. Full, full marks for that one. Behind every great entrepreneur is a great accountant. Behind some great entrepreneurs are some great accountants. And doing more of what you love with less pain is a bit more aspirational. What's your report on that one? Uh, accountants um, investing in digital transformation is absolutely irrefutable. I think uh, Renee is absolutely on the money with that. Um, accountants loving contributing their unique insights to the success of the business is firm by firm. It's certainly not a generalization. Yeah, well, that is the news and the insights on the news. We'll see you next time. Improve your practice while decreasing how hard you work to make your firm really fly. Really fly. The Accounting Influencers fly. Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our expert interview, and I'm thrilled to have with me today, back for the second time, Randy Crabtree. Good good day, sir. Welcome. Rob, it's great to be here again. It's always a good time. Randy, we did a, a wonderful interview with you last time about what makes a good accountant great and how they stand out, how they become promotable and accelerate their own careers. And that was fascinating to talk about self-awareness and building on your strengths, finding those passions and sharing that knowledge. Today, we're going to take a different tack with you. And you and I have both a shared experience of having gone through a major life trauma. So today, we're going to talk about overcoming adversity, building mental resilience, dealing with mental health, stuff like that. Before we dive into that, why is that relevant for the accounting practitioners, the CPAs out there to hear stuff like this? Well, in general, I mean, mental health in general is just a much larger issue than I think people even realize. And mental health in general for the last two years that people have been cooped up has been significant. And in just an accounting industry, you know, you're putting in some crazy hours for a certain portion of the year and that drains on you. That drained on me. That's one reason that I ended up, you know, 15 years ago, merging my firm in with another firm and starting the specialty firm Trimerit that I, that I have now it was just because that was a draining issue. So, so, you know, the dramatic, traumatic of, of events that you and I went through, there are, there are things just with an everyday business that people are dealing with that, uh, you know, may not look as significant, but are, are significant. And you're based in the USA, I'm based in the UK. When you talk to accountants, do you, like I do, get a, an overwhelming sense that they are tired, they are overloaded, they are at the edge, if you like, of what they can cope with, given all the things that are going on? Yep, and I'm not as uh, up to speed on uh, the incentives and, and what's going on in the UK. I know it's been this very similar to here, but our, our in the US here, our, our tax preparers, our CPAs, 
are in basically year three of a nonstop tax season. I mean, that's the way it's been. So they are, they are stressed. They are burnt out. They are, you know, tired, like you said. And, and, and unfortunately, that's not going to stop anytime soon. So anything you can do to uh, alleviate some of those stresses, I think is extremely important. Mm. I had a guy over here in the UK wrote the line, a slower day is not coming. How many things do we say? I, I'll read that book when I've got a bit more time or I'll deal with that issue when I, my diary is a little bit more freed up. I've got some time in my calendar, but that slower day, it's not coming, Randy. It's getting more and more relentless, isn't it? It is. You, you would think with, you know, everybody talks about AI and technology and, you know, maybe helping our lives. It just, it, it, it really just keeps things, you know, more hectic. It, you know, there are things that change. There's always going to be change. And that's, that's a stress on people too. This is changing. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years and now I have to do something different in my practice because something's changing. I don't want to deal with that. And so that's just a stress for people as well. And accountants as a breed, they're not known for their agility, their ability to cope with change. The accounting profession, as we call it here, you call it an industry, it's been ever thus. Nothing much has changed. So when you throw something like COVID or recession into the mix, that ability to pivot, accountants are not well known for that. And as a result, often they struggle with coping, don't they? They do. And, and, and you people couldn't ignore that the last two years. You had to change. It isn't, you know, uh, what is the saying? Sally, same as yes. Wait, what is it? Same as last year. Um, Sally, um, it wasn't the same as last year. It's not the same as last year. You have to change. That That is coming. You have to be resilient. You have to be able to change. I've seen during the last two years, I've seen some very big success stories in the accounting profession um, compared to where businesses were before. I think that's accelerated the the need to change. I think that's accelerated. I mean, simple things. We're in the office today. Tomorrow we're remote. Are where we set up for it? If not, we accelerating that change. We had to we had to accelerate that operation. Um, but that's also been positive. My clients also used. They were all geographic in my geographic region. Now I can deal with clients all over the world. You know, if I have a certain niche practice, that's changed. So people, you know, they just have to to, to deal with it and, and stay with the times. And you can't be, you, you have to be agile in today's world. True. You talk about the successes, but equally there have been failures. There have been accounting firms and accountants that have fallen short, that have not been able to cope. That's why we have the great resignation. That's why we have professionals asking, is this worth it? Is this where my life's going? Is this what it's all about? Is this what I signed up for? So there are some that either won't cope or can't cope and are looking for a different path. Yeah, and 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 honestly, I mean, if we go to the 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 theme of the the traumatic events that you and I uh, both dealt with, which was stroke, you know, um, eight years ago when I had my stroke, I didn't feel like I could cope with it anymore. I didn't think I could deal with the business anymore. And we kind of talked about this last time uh, when you and I talked about the whole you know, self-awareness and looking at yourself and what are your strengths and all that. But when my stroke happened, I didn't, I honestly didn't think I'd be able to work much longer. I just mentally couldn't stay with it. I couldn't do it. Um, and that's when I, that's when it took me a few years, but I looked at myself and figured out strengths and weaknesses and passions and, and what I enjoy doing. And I'm at a point now, eight years later, eight years ago, I didn't real. I didn't think I could work much longer today. I can't see stopping. <laughs> just because of the way that, uh, that I've changed my outlook on things. And to me, it was, it was honestly, it's hard to say the stroke was a blessing because it's not. I mean, nobody wants to have to deal with that. But the outcome 
I'm very happy with where things are now. And your stroke, was it brought on by the lifestyle that you had or was it completely out of the blue? It was completely out of the blue. It was, you know, these things can just happen. So um, when I had my stroke, it was actually two months after I won a, no, three months after I won a fitness contest. So I was in <laughs> some of the best shape of my life. I, um, I, I honestly, I work out all the time anyways, but that was, I was doing extreme workouts then. And, and, uh, and so I was in great shape. I was, you know, I probably 35 pounds lighter than I am right now, which just means I need to get, uh, I'm in the gym all the time, which is in my house. Um, but uh, that, that for me, I don't think it was work related. I don't think it was stress related. I was in great shape. Honestly, for me, it was just a fluke thing. I ended up having a hole in my heart and nobody knew it. And that hole allowed a clot to bypass my lungs and go up to my head and get stuck and, and cut off blood flow. Wow. And without getting too biological here, a stroke for listeners, if you haven't come across it, is any kind of blockage or bleed in your brain. And uh, I had a bleed. So I just got a black belt in kickboxing. So I was in pretty good shape. I just hit 50. And out of the blue, I started getting these migraines, which were mini bleeds. And then after a few months, it just went boom. So it forces what you're kind of calling a recalibration, doesn't it, Randy? You start to look at what's important, what really matters. Yeah. Oh, oh, you do for sure. And again, this is, we talked about this before, but that, that, that made me reevaluate everything. And honestly, it, it, part of it was, you know, the stroke, but part of it was, hey, the stroke was a, a, a one-time event. Part of it was mentally dealing with the stroke afterwards. And for me, that was a long, that was a long recovery, mental recovery from that. But during that mental recovery, that's where I started to do the whole, you know, evaluation and, and deciding what I wanted to do. And even when I made the change, and I had told you this before, but the change happened about four years after the stroke, the change in my role in the business, I still at that point didn't realize that I would have so much fun and passion with what I'm doing. And I really, at that point thought, well, I'm going to try to stick around three years, you know, after after doing the whole self-evaluation, after getting mentally uh, um, healed, uh, um, and, I, and I do feel mentally healed now, even after that, I still didn't realize that what that change was going to mean to me personally. And now, you know, four years after that change, like I said, I can't, I can't even consider stopping. I, this is way too much fun. And we talk about stroke. It's a major life-changing event. You could put in heart attack, cancer, Alzheimer's, these kind of things. They don't discriminate, really. They hit anybody. You can be young or old. A friend in my daughter's class, elementary class, a few years ago, she died of ovarian cancer, age 11. Now, what is all that about? So let's take God out of it for the moment. That's a whole other conversation. But uh, these things come up on us, and we find that nobody's immune from shit. Stuff happens to everybody, whether it's you or somebody close to you. All of us are contending with some something you don't know anyone in your life, and neither do I, for whom life is absolutely perfect. So things are happening, aren't they? And we've got to we've got to deal with it some way. Yeah, for me, dealing with it was, I mean, uh, after my stroke, and this is just things that happen, whether it's a stroke, whether it's a heart attack, whether it's, you know, dealing with the, you know, I, I can't even imagine the death of a child that, that, that those poor people had to deal with. Um, you just don't know what that does to you mentally. And, and, Probably six months after my stroke, I was sitting in a restaurant with my family eating and out of the blue, I just had this breakdown. It's just like one second I felt okay. And then the next second I'm, I'm just crying my eyes out. I'm shaking. I have no idea what's going on. And I think that was the start of, you know, me actually realizing 
that I was having mental health issues related to the stroke, not because of the stroke, not, a, not mentally affecting the inside of my head, but, you know, not physical, but mental. I just couldn't, you know, why did I have a stroke? Is it going to happen again? You know, uh, you know, will I survive if it does all this stuff? And all these things just start going through your head, which happens in business too. I mean, it doesn't have to be the stroke. It could be, you know, other questions, but for me, that started it. And then I, I, I just ended up for four years, you know, on and off having a breakdown, having many panic attacks, a couple major panic attacks. And what I needed to do was seek out counselors for help. And so that, again, that you can do just in general. I, 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 you know, I never thought about going and seeing a therapist before the stroke, after the stroke, it took a while, but then I did. And I think in general that what people are dealing with in business right now, not even right now, I mean, pandemic's one thing, but not even right now, just in general, there's stresses out there. Getting somebody you can talk to, somebody that you can share, you know, you, what's going on with you um, is extremely important. And uh, I think that that it doesn't have to be that traumatic event that you and uh, event that you and I went through to just still do that. And, and being a little bit sexist for a moment, it's harder for men in a way. We don't admit frailties and vulnerabilities. Women are much better at talking to one another and having best friends. But for a man to offload, share that they're having some problems, admit that they're struggling, you do that on the playground when you're young and you'll get beaten up. So we learn, don't we, to keep that stuff in, internalize it and cope on the outside. But on the inside, we're going through some stuff. Oh, yeah. No, it, it, for sure. And it, you just have to, to deal with it. I, I, I went through three different therapists. And I think part of it was, you know, the first one was, well, I don't like what she's saying. This is what <laughs> I think. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Not, you know, not wanting to be as open as I should. And I think that's exact. It, it took me to the third one where it, it finally kicked in that, hey, you know, I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything, which is surprising because everybody would think <laughs> I know everything, but I don't know everything. And and I should listen to the, the knowledge, kind of like what I say, sharing knowledge. They're sharing their knowledge and their expertise with me and I've got to let that be absorbed. Yeah, you burned three therapists. That takes some going that round in. There must have been a, <laughs> a lot of stuff going around in your head. You know what? I, I honestly, what would happen is it, it would either kick me, kick in when I'm at a conference. I don't know why it would be, but I'd be at a conference. I think it's because I'd be away from my family maybe. And so I'd start to get a little, you know, I used to call it melancholy feeling. Yeah, angsty. We might say angsty here in the UK. Yep. And I would get this. And then the people I was with that I worked with would notice it. And they'd say, hey, let's go take a walk because they knew something was happening in my head, which was good. I think it's important. One thing I think is extremely important is you can't. And you said that we kind of internalize. You can't. You can't hide it. You can't keep it a secret what's going on, because that's where it just builds and builds and builds and builds on itself. So when I was going through this, you know, I let the people who I work with know what was happening. I let my wife. She knew everything, you know, because it scared the hell out of me. I mean, it my mind was telling me things that I didn't want to hear. And so you have to not keep that a secret. You have to share it. You have to let it out there because if you don't, I mean, I honestly, it, 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 you know, I, I could break down crying if I think about this too much, but I, I honestly didn't know where I was going to go. It, it just, and, and the third therapist finally helped me kick in. 
And for me personally, sorry, this is not the the, the Randy Crabtree, Crabtree show here, but but for me personally, I finally just came to a point where I'm sure the therapist instilled this into me where it's like, I just, if some idea came into my head, some thought that was just make me feel down, I would honestly just say, F you, you're not real. You don't exist. Get out of my head. I am not listening to you. And somehow that worked. Um, but that was after you know time with therapists. Let's just, there's so much good stuff in here, Randy, and us both being vulnerable, I hope he's helping the listeners. Let's take a moment to acknowledge the significant others in our lives, because we're in the middle of it, and it's all happening in our head, but we've got wives, kids, relatives, good friends, business partners around us, trying to get inside our head or comprehend what's going on and treat us or help us or support us. In so many ways, it's harder for them, isn't it? Oh, it is, because they don't know what's going on. So so the part I get most, most emotional about when just thinking about the stroke was the reaction my parents had when they heard. I mean, that just because they have no control. I mean, I'm living it. I don't have any control, but at least I'm there and I know what's going on. They have no, and they actually, I live near them, but they ended up being out of, out of uh, town at the time. And, and when I hear the story of, of their reaction, uh, I can't even imagine that, you know, being a parent myself now and thinking that your kid's going through something like that, it's just unbelievable. And then the, the, and, and that continues. They don't know what you're happening after you're out of the hospital. They don't know how you feel. They don't know what's going on. And that unknown was, is tremendous. The positive I had is, and not everybody has this, but my family was so supportive. And, and I know some stroke survivors who honestly don't have family to support them. And that's just tough to go through without what, whether it's a stroke or whether it's cancer or whether it's heart attack or whether it's, you know, loss of a, a family member, if you have family there, lean on them and hopefully they'll be there to support you. And I was very fortunate they were. What advice can you give to the accountants listening? It could be any profession, obviously, but we're talking here on the accounting influences podcast about super smart people, sometimes a little bit socially awkward. They don't communicate very well at the best of times. They're all going through stuff, trying to live their life personally, trying to live their life professionally, trying to do a great job. They're very honorable people, but they could be going through some physical stuff, some mental stuff, some social stuff. We must have something to pass on to those guys that are contending with something, right, Randy? Oh, well, I mean, the one for me is honestly, you know, um, if you are dealing with something, share that. And I just mentioned that before, but share it. Don't keep it secret. But but also if you're dealing with something, you can't just ignore it. You can't just dig deeper into what you're working on right now. If I dig deeper into this, that's going to go away. No, you have to acknowledge that there's something else happening. You have to share whatever that is, is happening. And you have to take time for yourself. I mean, I know CPAs that, you know, take pride in the fact or accountants, chartered accountants, CPAs that take pride in the fact that, hey, I had 3000 billable hours this year. Well, I feel terrible for you. You know, <laughs> I, I do. I think that's great. Good money. But you need a passion outside of work. You need to do something that you could take your mind off these nonstop work, 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 work. And so it's important, not only those other things I say, but it's important to have have a an activity that you love to do that is not work related. And I think that makes you a lot more well-rounded and releases stress. That's very wise. I had a HR human resources person say that when we hire people now we ask them what their interests are outside work and if they say nothing my job is my work it's my life it's my everything they don't hire them because they know that if the job goes wrong if there's a problem at work that's all they've got got nothing else to recharge the batteries they've got no point of sanity or foundation or platform or people they can talk to because they're so isolated yeah it's extremely important we do we do uh, when we 
hire someone new and I don't know. And I don't, again, I, I only do the things I like now. And part of it's not, I don't hire <laughs> anymore. Um, but so I don't know the process we go through, but when we do hire, we discuss uh, what their passions are outside of work. And we put that on the website, which I think I see a lot more businesses do it. You know, Sally enjoys hiking, um, you know, whatever it is. And, and so we make that important. I am a huge fan of, and I don't know if you're familiar with John Garrett. Um, John Garrett wrote this book. It's called What's Your And? And in parentheses. And so it's, you know, okay, you're the auditor, but and you play in a rock band and you, you're a, a craft beer enthusiast and, and it's your and which makes you who you are. The auditor doesn't make you who you are. It's the and portion of, of that is what, make, what you are. And that's so extremely important to everybody has this and. I, I tout John Garrett, every time I talk to somebody, we personally uh, uh, try to do that. When I hire, not I, when we hire someone new in the business, I try to reach out as quick as possible on a Zoom link or a Teams link and just say, hey, you know, great to have you here. You know, tell me what you do you know, that's not work related. What do you have fun doing? Do you travel? Do you do this? And getting to know people that way is so important. And I think people knowing that you like to hear about that and you're, you're, you're interested in that helps them. And I think it helps the whole environment be less stressful as a business. Sure. And just to bring this to a close, there's a role accountants can play in this because they are at the heart of businesses and families and they know more than anyone often about what's going on. So in a way, they've become therapists, psychiatrists, coaches, counselors, mentors to a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs out there. So asking the questions, being a bit vulnerable themselves, but also getting their clients to open up, that's good for everyone. Yeah, and that honestly, as accountants are adding new services to their, to their business, something like that's not a bad offering to somehow, you know, Somehow your, 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 your new service offering to your clients is creating a corporate culture that people want to be involved in. That's a new service offering you have. Uh, you know, and so you're already learning that. Like you said, you're already knowing that. Your clients are already there open to you. Now go out there and do that. All right, this is an idea. Rob, you and I are going to do that. That's probably what you're doing already anyways. But Yeah. No, that's great, Randy. Thank you so much for your, your passion and your insights today. That's been a, a very vulnerable episode. It kind of different show to what we normally do, but we're in challenging times and it needs people to step up and step out and be a little bit brave and courageous, not just for their own good, but for the good of everyone. Any closing remarks, Randy, and sending our listeners off with some inspiration? Well, the inspiration that, that, that I always like to say is, you know, find your passions, make your passion your work. If you can do that, you're never going to work in a, a day in your life. Amen to that. Randy Crabtree, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. It's always fun. One of the biggest factors an employer brand people think is money and paying people what they're worth is absolutely vital but it's not necessarily about money everyone knows that money isn't everything it's most things but it's not everything and in fact some research suggests that employees would be willing to forgo a higher wage if they found a job in which they felt a sense of purpose and value someone mentioned to me recently that uh, one firm had tried giving people a pay cut but offering them instead a more upgraded title to their role. So upgrading from manager to director or giving them a funky job title. And so people value that more than the money. There's a famous law firm in London now that has offered its employees a 20% pay cut if they want to work from home 100%. Would you take that? Would you 
pay off the, the commute, the travel, the coffees, everything else, but be able to work from home? Would you take a 20% pick up? Now, the downside to that is if you do work from home, they can't include you in the culture. So they've said you won't be on partner track. You won't be able to get involved in any promotion opportunities. You won't be seen as leadership material in there because you're not there. But if you're doing your job and you're a qualified accountant, you can do it all from home. Would you take 20% less to do that? So we're coming back in this episode on rewarding your people properly. It is a key part of your employer brand proposition. This is you saying to the world and to the talent pool out there, this is what you get when you work here. So it's important that you're paying the right rate for the industry, for the competition. This is where we've got to start here. Now, there's going to be some disparity between the smaller firms and the big four, obviously, or perhaps based on geography, if you're in a big city rather than a provincial or rural firm. But however you stack up against wages paid by the competition, you want to be at least close. So let's say that. Beyond that, it's vital to remember that money does not feature on the list of employer satisfaction and how your employees want to be valued. It's not high on the list. There are other things that they value more. So it doesn't all have to be what goes into the bank account at the end of the month. Some employees, some staff want to work flexibly or remotely. Others want the chance to work on interesting projects, working with different clients in different sectors. Other people want training and progression, coaching and mentoring. Uh, whatever it is, you've got to use your intel, your recruitment process, your L&D, your HR function to determine what your potential employee wants and then work out a roadmap, a, a process, an onboarding, uh, an employee value proposition that gives it to them. And we know that firms rely solely on money to entice candidates. We'll quickly realize that high wages are no guarantee of convincing someone to join you or stay with you. So where do we get to here? No matter what you pay people, overworking them, giving them boring tasks, giving them boring projects, giving them demanding clients, giving them too many meetings. These all contribute to your place not being fun to work. You've got to build an employer brand around, and here's a new phrase for you, employee value proposition. You can Google this. There are loads of great things on it. An employer value proposition is the benefits, rewards that your employees get in exchange for their time, their energy, their skills, their commitment. And it's at the heart of your employer brand. It should convey what your firm is all about and what you offer. And your employer brand is external. That's what gets communicated to the external world. Your employee value proposition is what you start to talk about when you get people to interview and when you're doing reviews with your current staff. And your employer value proposition should be around certain elements. I'll give you five here. There are a few more, but first compensation. And this is the degree to which your people are satisfied with their salaries, as well as any additional rewards, bonuses, commissions. That's the bank account stuff. But beyond that, another one is work-life balance. I'll talk in a future episode about employee well-being and mental health. Things like that are important. How you look after the the psyche of your staff. But right now, work-life balance includes paid vacation time, sick leave, flexi time, remote working options, healthcare, retirement plans, the stuff that happens outside the stuff in the bank account. Then you've got to look at stability, security, opportunities for progression within your firm, career development, employee training, mentoring, coaching, continued professional development. How do you support them ongoing and equip them with the skills they need to do better and more interesting work? to serve the clients better, to move on and up in your organization. Then location, this is not just the location of your firm, your office, and the town city you're in. We did a piece about that recently on the best cities to be an accountant. But this is your physical working space, your cultural environment of your office. So think about hybrid remote working. Yes, that's all well and good, but that's in their space. This is 
them coming into the office at some point, what does that look like? Is it the beanbags? Is it the uh, the ping pong tables? Is it the cafe and the muffins and everything else? Is it the cubicles? Is it the private space? Is it the cafeteria? Lots of things go into that. Not making it too gimmicky, but it is part of your employee value proposition. And then the last one, you could call it respect, but it might be values. And this is the team spirit, the relationships, the support, the camaraderie between your staff, the values and how they play out in the everyday working environment. And these all go together to form an employee value proposition. And you're trying to play here to your strengths, but put something in there that you can deliver on. Don't just make cool promises because you'll overpromise and underdeliver. And you've got to get your EVP right so that you can offer more attractive terms to prospective hires. And this means you can leverage it in your employee brand. And I'll give you a quick example just to finish this episode with. And this is something I came across with Sky. You may know Sky Sports. I think they're under the Fox brand, aren't they? They are a broadcaster and their employee value proposition is summarized as a job you love to talk about. And they conducted some research in found that employees consistently said, when asked, what do you do for a living? They consistently said, I work for Sky. And that was before they started to talk about their exact role as an engineer or a program editor, or I don't know, geek there, tech person there, salesperson there. They said, I work for Sky. They led with that. So you've got to think about what your employee value proposition is summarized as. And going into this, it's what you promise and and how you reward them. And we'll talk a little bit about rewarding your people properly more but for now just get the basics right sick leave parental leave no meetings friday zero overtime mental health support paying off student loans having employee lifestyle accounts where they you put some money in their account and they pay for kindergarten nursery places they pay for pet insurance they pay for gym membership but it's what they want it's got to be about what's relevant to them rather than you giving them specific benefits, letting them choose and giving them a little pot of money to play with. That goes down really, really well. Have a think about rewarding your employees properly. And that will form part of your a strong employer brand and your employee value proposition. Go make it happen. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast, cutting through the crap to bring you the very best interviews, insights, and wisdom from the planet's most influential people in the accounting and fintech world with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. Welcome to our special guest interviews for this week on the Accounting Influencer Podcast and here with me from various parts of the United States, it's Rob Santos (laughs) and Rory Henry from Arrowroot. Good day, gentlemen. Good day, Rob. Hello, Rob. Hello. We don't often do double handers here on the Accounting Influencer Podcast, but uh, you two come as a package, I understand. So uh, we'll take both of you, right, Rory? Yes, we're a package deal. <laughs> now, just for the benefit of people that haven't come across you guys and what you do or our route, do you just one of you want to give us a brief introduction, let us know what we're getting into here? Sure, happy to. So Arrowroot um, is a financial firm that has a few different divisions. We have Arrowroot Capital, uh, which is a private equity B2B enterprise software uh, private equity group led by Matthew Safai. Um, we also have Arrowroot Advisors, which is an investment bank which focuses on sell side uh, mandates for enterprise software. And then we have Arrowroot Family Office, which really means our own personal family office. So the professionals at Arrowroot pooling our capital together and, and managing it in our own family office. But it also means for everyday people and other people that are investing with us, more services. Um, and through that program, we've launched uh, Arrowroot Family Office Wealth Management Forward, which is our affiliate accounting program, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a, a little bit later, which is 
but really attaching the family office model and engine to a lot of accountants um, kind of across the United States to help them to transition into more of the family office model and advisory. Yes, thank you for that. And our accounting practitioner audience, uh, our international, predominantly in North America and the UK, they will be wondering why we have you two guys on the podcast. So talk to us about your involvement in the accounting profession, Rory. What do you guys do there to, to help accountants or help the people that they help? Yeah, we uh, have a program, as Rob mentioned, called AFO Wealth Management Forward. We're educating CPAs and accountants out there on how to adopt this family office model, Rob. Historically, the family office model was, as probably people think of, it was for the ultra-affluent. So uh, the John D. Rockefellers, the J.P. Morgans, where they had all the professional services under one roof advising the family. Well, now through advancements in technology, we're able to provide this same family office level of care, really no matter the size and net worth. So the construction worker, the nurse, the teacher. Uh, And so what we've done is we've provided this model for accountants to provide holistic wealth management advice uh, to their clients. We really believe that the CPA, the accountant is really the advisor of the future. There's some best practices, some technology implementations away from providing this holistic advice uh, to their clients, Rob. Thank you. Let's pick up on the phrase, we educate CPAs. How coachable, Rob, do you feel CPAs, accountants are as a breed to take on new ways of doing things? So I think historically, uh, it's been very, very difficult, Um, both from a compliance uh, technology standpoint, um, industry-wide, both on the accounting and the wealth management side, I think it's been incredibly difficult. But the, the difference in the last few years is one, accountants largely need to do something. That industry is changing. Margins are decreasing. Uh, there are not enough CPAs to fill the seats that are needed to be able to go on to the next industry. So, you know, necessity is 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 really the best thing for innovation here, right? So, uh, we are seeing a lot more open mindedness to it. Um, second is that through our program, uh, accountants are able to affiliate either with us or another RIA, Registered Investment Advisor, and they can, through a compliance structure called a solicitor's agreement, share in that in those fees um, and not shoulder any of the, really the compliance burdens um, to be able to do that. And that's a complex, difficult thing uh, for a lot of CPAs to wrap their mind around. So we've tried to you know make the complex simple, not just for our clients, but now for accountants um, to see that this path is much more clear than it was a few years ago. And as I mentioned earlier, they need to do something, right? So if it's not this, then we're really curious about, well, what is that solution for you? And we've had a, we've had a number of answers, some of them that we think are quite clever, and others that, you know, just from our experience in working with accountants is, is a very difficult um, lift. And so we're trying to be able to show a path of efficiency that's future-facing as opposed to trying to go back to a model that most accounts are kind of working on and just saying, you know, you really have to just work harder. <laughs> you know, That's not um, going to go down well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Rory, when we talk about accountants changing and needing to do something, we know there's downward pressure on compliance fees that Rob's alluding to here, and they're looking at more of the advisory and the additional accounting services to supplement their revenues and to stay afloat. Are are there any other drivers of change you feel that is forcing them to talk to guys like you about different and better ways of doing things? I I mean, look, I think the capacity problem is one, as we mentioned, the the compressing margins uh, on the compliance fees 
uh, are another. I think they're seeing, you know, I talked to Seth Feinberg at Accounting Web, and he says, you know, the one thing that's plaguing small and medium-sized firms is the need to stay relevant. So I think they're looking for models and ways to stay relevant. And I, and I think the advisory, the CAS or the advisory model is something that has been interesting to them. And a lot of the CPAs and accounts we work with, once they start getting involved in some of these technologies, these softwares, they see the light bulb, the light bulb pops off. They go, oh, I can do this. Uh, there's simplified technologies like Asset Map that really is a holistic onboarding tool that allows them to map out assets, liabilities, cash flows. And that opens up the conversation to provide investment advice to clients. So I think really the, it's the need to stay relevant. And I, and I think they see this historically, financial advisors as a higher margin service that they can provide to their clients. And they're uniquely positioned. They have the trust of the client. Uh, they're best positioned. They, they advise the business. They advise the personal lives of clients. They're uniquely positioned to take on that role. And I think as Rob stated, historically, they've had a conflict there or belief that they couldn't. But now due to technology, those administrative, those compliance issues have really been ironed out uh, for CPAs. Mm. What we're seeing too as a driver of change, Rob, you'll have noticed this, is that clients themselves are saying, hey, I'm running a family business. How can you help me? What other services have you got? What, what advice can you give me? What what wealth management advice, what financial advice can you so the client is driving the agenda, whereas before the client would say, Well, just keep me out of jail and do my compliance and everything else. So the accountants are having to step up, aren't they? Oh, in in an enormous way. You know, this this change is is largely being driven by clients, right? And so we always talk about look, the client experience is is obviously one of the most important things right? To any business, like you're selling a widget or you're selling accounting services, whatever it is. But the other focus that we have is your employee experience and your own personal experience. What is the experience for somebody working in your firm? And so not only are the clients clamoring to be able to have this better, more holistic, future-facing, technology-savvy type of service, but employees are dying for it. They want leaders that are embracing some of these new things. And so we we hear it time and time again from accountants. I haven't been able to, I need more CPAs. I need more help. I don't have somebody to be able to have a succession plan for my business. I haven't been able to find one for a long time. And our answer to them is, have you built a firm to attract that talent coming out of these schools and people that use phones and use software and want this want to give this kind of advice and more often than not unfortunately the answer is no so you know on both aspects employees and, and clients um, and that user experience i think is very very important Rory, talk to us about family businesses family offices we know that uh, in the covid phase that we've all been through all over the world that uh, family businesses have almost held economies together. So I'm guessing the U.S. is no different to other parts of the world. There are a lot of them out there, perhaps not truly understood by accountants. So give us a flavor of what's involved in a family business and some of the issues. Rob, you want to touch on that? Rob's probably best suited to answer that one. Sure. You know, um, we have seen a dramatic increase in the values of private companies across the world. Um, there's a lot of reasons that we can try to go go into about that private businesses. Also, if you look at the net worth of kind of the average American, um, there's a few areas that make up their net worth. One of them is their retirement funds, their 401ks. We have it's trillions and trillions of dollars in our uh, the 401ks workers. The second is in their real estate, their homes. Um, and for the affluent, it's their businesses, it's their private businesses. 
And from the accounting perspective, every a lot of people probably on this call are quite familiar with the tax sophistication of why all of these various structures are built from a tax efficiency standpoint. However, the idea of maximizing um, the value of those things through creative, holistic wealth management or family office services is not something that accountants have really focused on. And then something that COVID really brought out was estate planning, right? Uh, and that's a, that's a conversation that even the most wealthy affluent people do not like to have. Uh, you'd be that, you know, nobody, people would be surprised of how wealthy these very sophisticated, wealthy, well-planned people have not properly done their estate plan. And that goes all the way down to a, uh, an average American or someone from the UK. It's a difficult thing to be able to go through. Um, and so it's a tremendous opportunity here because there's a tremendous amount of value to be given uh, to clients by merely asking the question, right? And then having the confidence that you do have some resources to provide a solution. You don't have to have that information completely in your brain, but the knowledge of where you can be able to reliably send your clients or service your clients for those sophisticated questions is highly valuable. And we would say a necessity for the, for the market going forward. And that's where we pull uh, in technology enabled partners uh, in the U.S. here, Rob, there's a partner called Trust and Will, where they have streamlined the estate planning process. So uh, what used to be cumbersome where you'd have to go into an attorney's office and sit down and answer really difficult questions on beneficiaries or end of life wishes can now be done in the own comfort of your own home. So being able to uh, leverage technology to provide an estate plan can really provide that family office level of care that our clients love. And it actually is an entry point into that wealth management conversation or even advising the next generation um, who could be in that estate plan. That makes sense. And when Rob mentioned estate planning, I'm thinking who would a family business go to for advice on estate planning? Because there's the solicitor, the, the lawyer, there's the independent financial advisor, the IFA as we call them here in the UK, but the financial wealth manager, there's the accountant, the trusted advisor. All of them have a little slice of the action. All of them have a little piece of the puzzle, if you like, but getting someone to holistically join all of that together, that's the challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. And and there isn't, you know, one solution doesn't fit all. You know, Rory mentioned Trust and Will. We also partnered with a wonderful tech-enabled service called Vanilla, which is really focused on the ultra high net worth. And through artificial intelligence, you can scan the estate plan uh, and within a you know a matter of a few hours of things like this, it will do a very high, very good detailed map of what your estate plan is. Flag different things that you need to become aware of, and you can give it to the client to say, take this to your estate attorney just to like sniff test, or we can try to help you with that um, if you, if you want. But I think a big challenge there to your earlier question, Rob, is a lot of accounts are are very detail oriented. They want, if they're going to give advice, they want to know everything in and out of some of those things. And, and one thing we challenge is that, you know, the explosion of venture capital, the explosion of computing, artificial intelligence, all of these other things are powering the ability to, to have very strong teams, software, math, that can give you that confidence. So you can, it's a tool now that you can be able to lean on and you don't need to know absolutely everything but you need to have the confidence that it's something that your clients should have, something that value that you can be able to give. Um, and the benefits of a business practice um, and all of that, we think just comes along with it. But that trust and that relationship that you're building with the client, that is 
of the most important thing. That's how you can safeguard it. That's how you can build a moat around it. And that's how you can ultimately build a future facing business. And Rory, if accountants, CPAs are wanting to add wealth management to their offering, financial services like that, we get that there's a lot for them to think about. So how do they dip their toes in? Do they need to reach out to our route or are they thinking, well, with a little bit of knowledge, I can do this myself. I don't want to be sharing with anyone else. Well, that'd be great. Obviously, we would welcome any uh, inquiries so you can reach us on, on LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, look, there's ways to dip your toe. Uh, we always, I always say on the pod, our podcast, uh, Rob, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So we, we say take one of those small steps. Start introducing yourself to some of these software uh, providers over here in the U.S., just to mention a couple, there's Asset Map, there's Right Capital, where you yourself can create your own financial plans. And I think once you see that in, in experience for yourself, you can then see how it can apply to your business. Uh, so I think really dipping your toe in the water, uh, you know, we, we, we have, we're on Earmark CPE, uh, Blake Oliver, uh, his, his uh, Earmark app, we're on there. So if you want to listen to our podcast, we are having webinars put up there as well with some of these software technology providers that you can look at that and, and, and start understanding how you can adopt uh, some of these services. Nice mention Blake Oliver and Mark CP. They do the CP for our show as well. So uh, Blake's one of the good guys. Uh, talk to us about how technology has changed the game in your world, guys, with wealth management and family businesses. Sure. So it's changed the game tremendously for us in the last 10 years. So there's a lot of parts of our service offering that used to have at least one to three team members specifically uh, hired for that purpose. Performance reporting, uh, risk analytics, billing, um, due diligence. There's all of these areas that took a tremendous amount of manpower to do. Um, frankly, software has allowed us to be able to do those services much more efficient, cost efficiently and more accurately, uh, more reliably, and in a much prettier interface. Um, so it's dramatically changed this. Um, the other thing on our side of the industry is that obviously fintech is touching our consumers in all kinds of different ways, right? The reality is Amazon finance is supposed to come out in a few years. What is that going to mean, right? Um, it shouldn't be surprising to, to anyone about the consumer is getting access to information and these algorithms directly right? And is much more used to being able to use some of these, these tools. One saying that we use quite a lot in our podcast and our program is don't fight the robots, partner with them. And a, a lot of these fintech providers um, have recognized the fact that advisors, CPAs, estate planning attorneys, these are the centers of influence that actually, if they can build software to make us better, it's it's a better business model than them trying to just buy ads uh, at the Super Bowl and try to get people to come onto their, their app. So I think technology has learned that we are valuable, at least for now, okay? Uh, and that we have that knowledge, we have that trust, we have our client's best interest at heart, and we can use those tools better than they can at the moment. Um, and so there's been a real reflection of that. And on the CPA side, on the accounting side, it's obviously there's a whole nother kit and caboodle that's going on over there um, as well. But this is the next frontier of fintech is connecting those areas. 
And so we're really on that bridge between what's going on on the accounting fintech side and what's going on in the wealth management fintech side. And that bridge is being connected currently as uh, where we are. And there's a tremendous amount of opportunity as that happens. Got that. And Rory, it's not just the technology. There's so much data around. There's so many statistics. There's so many figures and numbers. And there's almost an art to being able to make sense. It's okay having a nice interface and everything else, but the, the wealth managers, the financial advisors, the CPAs, the trusted advisors, they've got to make sense of all of that in a way that is, as you say, relevant to the client that makes them understand the stories, the trends behind yes. the numbers. Yeah, I mean, the computer's not there yet. Amazon hasn't solved this. Apple hasn't solved this. Although I think maybe the next decade they, they could. They, people still want that human element, Rob. They want that confidence that they're making the correct decision with complex with complex financial um, uh, uh, situations. So that human element is important to analyze that data. But we always say, don't fight the robots, team up with them. So it's using technology to provide your clients with better advice so they can have clarity and peace of mind that they're making the correct decisions. Talk to us about your podcast, gentlemen. It, it's unusual that a uh a wealth management company would be in the podcast space, but you've made the decision, you've made it work. Tell us a little bit more about the story. Yeah. So Rob and I co-host a podcast called AFO Wealth Management Forward. And we've been incredibly lucky, Rob, to have some great guests on. We've had Forbes, the Wall Street Journal. Uh, we spoke to The Economist. Uh, we spoke, in, we, we talked to fintech CEOs and executives. They're really transforming uh, the marketplace out there in the fintech community. Uh, we recently interviewed the head of fintech strategies at Vanguard uh, Investment Group, which is, I believe, the second largest uh, asset manager in the world with $7 trillion. And they're doing some innovative stuff uh, in the fintech space from blockchain to providing more transparency and lowering fees. So the podcast has really opened up um, us to be able to communicate in, uh, to an audience, both fintech, accounting, uh, and people in general on uh, advancements in technology. So we've been fortunate enough to, to have some great guests on and we get to meet people like you, Rob, I think because of the podcast, I believe that uh, it's a great way to collaborate and uh, and meet people and learn new things. So I've learned a lot over the last year um, by having a podcast and we're excited to have on more guests here in the future. Sure. And with the podcast, who listens to it and what do they get from it? You've given us a flavor, but I, I'm intrigued as to when you have guests on like that, what they've got to say and what kind of audience gets engaged by what they have to say. Yeah, I, I can hop in here. So largely that our listener base are um, accountants, right? They, these are students that are that want to enter this, the accounting profession. We've got small business owner accountants. We've got folks that are in-house accountants that are thinking about maybe starting their own business. We've got older accountants that are thinking about how to modernize uh, their business. Um, and we're also starting to see some of our investment advisory clients uh, listen in. Um, and we get a question quite a lot, which is, guys, you guys are talking about the software providers that you've had success with and giving away the kind of secrets of how to start implementing some of this advisory services. Like, don't you want to get paid for giving out some of that secret? And our answer to that is we hope everyone uses this software. This is better for our profession. This is better for consumers. This is better for us as an industry. So whatever knowledge that we've got, we want to gladly give it away. And the second answer to that question is it's changing all the time. So accounts come and work with us because we've been focused solely on the last 10 years about identifying these software providers, learning about the value proposition of them and ironing out best practices to integrate them into a holistic firm. And 
not many people, not many accounts that we talk to have the time to do that. So why reinvent the wheel? Why go out and interview 12 different CRMs? Why interview six different types of financial planning software? Come to us, we've done that. <laughs> we can give you our, our unbiased opinion. Um, and if they wanna work with us in a, in a capacity of partnering with Eru, we love that, that's fantastic. Or they can partner with another firm and we'll coach them on how to be able to do that. And if they want to ultimately start their own in, uh, registered investment advisory firm, we will help them do that. And any clients that we've partnered with belong to them in the contract. These are your relationships. Because we, we don't see this as a zero sum game. Uh, the success of accounting firms to implement this holistic strategy is going to benefit all of us in the profession. And we really want to try to be a voice for that change and empowerment for accounting professionals because we see them as the best colleagues of the future. Yeah. Rory, you're nodding there. You've got a real cause, haven't you? I can see the passion in your eyes. And to for accountants to stay relevant, they've got to stay current. Yes, they do. And, uh, and that's what you know, they're inundated so much with technology. Uh, you know, they are the center of influences. So they get bombarded uh, with all these tools. Uh, they have an app have, can have app overload. So we, we have weeded out, uh, you know, those and, and provided really the best of the best of providers out there that can streamline the, the operational and admin and compliance uh, services for the firms out there. Uh, so we really uh, are allowing accounts out there to, to have this family type of OS model in a short period of time to provide their clients with this holistic uh, advice and, and improve their lives, improve the lives of their family um, and, and really improve the lives of their firm. Mm. And as well as free access to a lot of the knowledge and, and software you're offering here, you have a, an educational program, don't you, for people that are serious about it and want to take it a little bit further. Tell us more about that. Sure. So we've um, we've learned a lot when we've launched this program. <laughs> Made a so, few mistakes. <laughs> uh, you know, and those were all good. You know, we spent, we spent a lot of time before we launched the program creating uh, a, a learning course, a learning management system for accountants to learn at their own pace. So we had videos and modules and things on these things to be able to try to, to help them. And we built that all out because we were thinking accountants are busy. When they want to learn, they can plug right in. What we found was that Accountants want to dip their toe in. They want to get started in one area or another. So what we've what we've done is we still have that learning management system, but we do an intake session with that firm to help them identify the lowest hanging fruit. Because what we want to try to do is make our accountants successful in the shortest period of time in an authentic way that feels good for them, that can scale. And so what we do after that intake is we'll focus on a few areas that we can get started kind of immediately. For a lot of accountants, that might be retirement accounts, because every time someone does their tax return, the accountants are saying, have you thought about funding a SEP IRA or an individual IRA to lower your tax bill? Or they're business owners, they have corporate 401k. Um, so we try to focus on some of these, these smaller issues. And what we found is that as the accounts get a little bit of success, uh, you know, a corporate 401k plan that has $20 million in assets, and they see the recurring revenue that starts to come in, and they equate that into how many tax returns they have to do to get that recurring revenue with a very small lift amount of things that's shifting them into a more powerful advisory uh, model and position with that CEO. They're hooked. They love it. You know, and they want to grow that because they don't want to go out and get another hundred clients to do their tax returns, which is going to, they don't have the capacity to do already, but they, they, the light goes off. Ah, this is a recurring revenue, high margin business that I can have confidence in what we are trying to provide here. How do I grow this? 
And so it's a longer cycle for accountants and we're, we're comfortable with that. Um, but it's one of growth and there's, it's one of acceleration as soon as they see the value benefit for themselves, their families, their employees, and their clients. And it seems that there are some general principles here of wealth management uh, in the family business. And whilst you're talking about a, a lot of UK, sorry, US-based financial products like the 401k and certain things like that, how applicable is all of this, Rory, to other countries throughout the world? Well, I think a holistic financial plan can really be applied uh, globally. So it's really having that map and that plan to provide someone with a better future. So whether you're talking about 401ks or retirement in general, uh, whether you are wealth managing or you're wealth seeking where you need to manage your debt, having that holistic financial plan uh, is gives you a, a, a North Star to be able to provide a better future for yourself. So I think accountants, advisors, we're uniquely positioned to provide that advice and that plan for our clients to set them up, their families up for success in the future and allowing their families to be protected for, God forbid, anything happen, whether it's having insurance, life insurance, or having that estate plan uh, to ensure their family's taken care of uh, if anything did happen. So I think it's our our job and our opportunity to provide that, be that CFO, that chief family officer uh, for clients, no matter if you're the US or, or anywhere else in the world. That's the CFO rebranded now. No longer chief financial <laughs> officer, but chief family officer. I, I like that. As a former high school math teacher, guys, my my interest is in financial literacy. I know you guys are big on this, and my co-host Martin Bissett is also banging the drum on financial literacy. <laughs> a lot of what I taught in the maths classroom was irrelevant to real life. I mean, what kids really need algebra or Pythagoras theorem or things like that. So you're really passionate about your financial literacy initiatives, aren't you? Yeah, I'm actually doing a talk at the Accounting Web Live Summit in San Diego, uh, Rob, here in May, talking about DNI through financial literacy. Uh, we believe that really there should be a safe, sustainable, and thriving marketplace that's that's equitable for all, especially here in the States. Financial literacy has been inaccessible. It's been uh, not very interesting. It's been inefficient. Uh, seven states require personal finance courses to graduate. So our school system is not doing uh, the younger generation um, uh, uh, right by having uh, this lack of financial education in the school system. And then we don't really talk about this in the home for some reason. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you know this, but it's taboo. We don't talk about this at the dinner table. And then I think we need to do a better job uh, uh, with our employee benefits. Our corporations need to prioritize financial literacy and inclusion. Uh, there's a Harvard, Harvard Business Review a study that was done that says uh, employees who have financial illiteracy uh, have greater stress and anxiety. It causes employee uh, disengagement and causes absenteeism. It causes mental health issues. There's a George Washington study uh, that was done as well uh, by the Global Financial Literacy Excellence Center that says people who are financially illiterate that have financial issues can spend up to six hours a day thinking about their personal finances. Uh, so during my talk, I'm going to talk about that this is not only the right thing to do to promote financial literacy and diversity, equity, inclusion, but it's really good for business. So I'm excited about the technology innovations that are happening in this space. We've partnered with a great app or technology called Goal Setter, led by Tanya Van Court. And she's an African-American female fintech founder. She has stakeholders from Kevin Durant, the professional basketball player, to actors like Anthony Anderson, who are promoting financial literacy because we really believe that it takes the community to shine light on the situation. So uh, I'm excited about it. I believe that advancements in technology, this digital device that we're using can help change and, and impact the lives of the next generation. 
It's obviously your dinner tables that don't talk about financial literacy because all we talk about here in the UK is managing a budget, dealing with credit card debt and everything else. I mean, mealtimes are really exciting here. (laughs) No, we don't. We don't. It is taboo in a way. I I totally get that, fellas. Uh, Did you want to add anything to that, Rob, about financial literacy? You know, um, Rory's really passionate about this, and we're and we're very passionate about it. Um, you know, our our partnership with Goalsetter is to try to get financial literacy and investment accounts for a, a million kids uh, underserved in in the United States. Um, and as Rory mentioned, um, it's not just the right thing to do, but demographics are changing. They're changing quite a lot here in the United States, right? And so, frankly, the accounting profession the financial services profession is pretty white and pretty male, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's not a secret. Uh, and, and so that's fine. That's okay. If it's, it's not something to be ashamed of, but it, we have to be very honest that the demographics of the United States are changing dramatically and more people look like me than an older white man uh, out there. And the reality is, is that demographic is in charge of a huge amount of uh, capital and services, and um, everyone's trying to figure out ways to compete to get that consumer, and they're frankly not doing it in a very authentic way. So again, you know, we believe that you give away this value to people. It's not just the right thing to do, but ultimately, it's a way for you to start to recognize the fact that if you're not doing it, you're leaving money on the table, and you're not servicing the future of of what this. Well, at least here in the United States, but also I'd say kind of globally, what the future consumer is. Uh, so, you know, we see a lot of opportunities to do it. Um, you know, we're not shy of talking about the values um, of it. Um, and we're trying to be able to show people that there is a path for them, either through their employee benefits or themselves and their firm, to start to, to put some of these best practices in. Um, and we're seeing a lot of traction. We're seeing a lot of people recognize the value of it. And, and as we come to a close, fellas, it's not just about the, the revenue opportunities for advisory in, in the wealth area that you're talking about here, but accountants and CPAs have a duty of care to cover these bases for their business clients, for the family businesses that they serve. It's got to be done, hasn't it, Rory? Yeah. Like I said, it's not uh, only the right thing to do. It's good for business here. Studies upon studies show that a more diverse uh, workforce makes for a more profitable uh, company. Uh, I, I'm going through some McKinsey studies as we're speaking, and they show that the, that the profitability is up to 25% more uh, with these diverse exec teams. So you know, that's why I'm passionate about DEI through financial literacy. I think we need to start at an early age so we can give kids from every different type of background an opportunity to generate wealth. And 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 uh, and give job opportunities for them uh, once they hit the workforce. Yeah, let's finish by looking to the future, fellas. Crystal ball time. Well, what is coming up based on your experience working with all of these technologies, seeing the many uh, needs out there? What's coming up for advisory and wealth management for accountants over the next few years? Yeah, I I I'll hop in there. You know, on the financial advisor side. You look back to the 80s of the 90s. The financial advisor of the 80s and the 90s looks quite different than it do, it does today, right? I would I would argue that the financial advisor of today and of the future is largely based around holistic financial planning and holistic type of advice. That's what the consumers want. That's what employers want to, want to do. I think that's going to continue into the future. And and frankly, the most successful advisor out there is going to be 
a mind meld of that accounting and that wealth management profession in tandem with software. That's that's the next step. That's the next horizon there. And even though technology is accelerating at an incredible amount of pace, so is the complexity of the financial world. And uh, we all see the VCs out there. They can solve the big, big ones, the big issues. We can file your tax returns online. We could robo-advise your wealth management. But somebody that moves from the United States to retire in Portugal has two businesses here, a child that they want to put through college, a grandkid that they're trying to set up a special needs trust for. The world is quite complex and it's going to get even more complex and they need people that can be able to service those people uh, of the future. And so we think it's really important to, to get ready for that. You haven't even touched on, guys, how I can bequeath my 5 million Bitcoins to my daughters. <laughs> so that, that whole crypto is a whole new game, isn't it? <laughs> we've, got a, we've, got a, we've got an answer for you. We'll follow up after the podcast. <laughs> and Rory, what do you think is coming up in the advisory game for accountants, particularly with all the wealth and technology happening? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, robo-advice out there, they're, they're, uh, they're trying to get involved in, in providing uh, wealth management services um, uh, to clients. So I think technology is rapidly advancing. I think the Apples and the Amazons of the world are trying to build that flywheel to take on uh, you know, financial advisors. And so that's why we promote this program of building that moat and try to diversify your service offerings so you could be indispensable to your client and, and their family. Uh, so we'll see. The, the next couple of years, people still want that, that human element, like we spoke about, that human advisor because they want that that comfort in knowing that they're making the correct decision. But I think the, the future here in the next couple of years is really looking at all the data, looking at all the systems, and then uh, advising the client so you can give them peace of mind. Yeah. And uh, if accountants, CPAs listening, want to get in touch with you guys, we'll put your contact details in the show notes so they can do that. But if they did reach out to you, what would that conversation look like? What kind of things would you recommend for them and help, or help them with? You know, the first, the first thing we do is when we get in contact with accountants, sometimes accountants will just reach out to me and say, look, I've been doing this. I've stubbed my toe with this because the old model of partnering with wealth management was we just refer it to this one guy. He's supposed to take care of us and he did a really awful job. So how do we make sure that we're not doing that? So we talk to them about the landscape and what options they have. And we try to answer as many questions. The first is kind of, you know, we're a bit like a doctor's office where somebody has something wrong with them. And we just try to listen and see if there's something we can try to assist with immediately. The second is uh, maybe a little bit longer conversation, 30 or 45 minutes. Tell us about your firm. What kind of clients do you have? What kind of opportunities do you have? What kind of struggles do you have? Um, and then we will take that and we will put together a, a pretty simplified roadmap of how we can start implementing them today. Um, a lot of these software subscriptions, we will harbor that cost and we'll get them on board to say asset map and say, let me just show you this. Uh, and, and we'll just start very slowly, but surely, but it is very much a coaching program as well as a family office engine that people can tie into. It's really, the importance is really both of those coaching and providing a reliable engine for them to plug into the business today. And we'll even do things like update their marketing. A lot of the times they say, okay, I'm going to do this. How do I update my website? How do I do Compliantly, I can start to offer these services. We walk them through all of that um, to try to make it as easy as possible for them to continue to do their business, but do a slight change to start moving the ship towards the advisory model. Got it. And final word from you, Rory. What happens to the accountant CPAs that fall behind on this or don't see it as relevant or they just don't get it or they think, well, I've got a recurring fee model. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and uh, I'm not really going to take this stuff seriously. 
I mean, I, I think you can only look to the recent past of those who didn't adopt cloud accounting. Um, you know, those, you know, they're going to go the way of the dodo bird. You have to adapt uh, to the latest technology trends. And we believe this is uh, the next uh, trend and providing holistic advice. So we're in the early innings here, uh, but those who adopted early can really bear the fruits uh, of it. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Rob Santos and Rory Henry from Arrowroot and the AFO Wealth Management Forward podcast. It's been a thrill to talk to you today. Thank you. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett. That brings us to the end of another episode of the Accounting Influence Show. You've been listening to the full show that goes out on a Monday featuring top class interviews with leaders throughout the accounting fintech world. A new segment where we don't just analyze the news, but tell you what it means for you. And here's what works. Practical segment for you accounting practitioners to help you raise your game, upgrade your skills and serve your clients better. Thank you for tuning in at our 25,000 listeners in 150 countries. We're growing by hundreds every week. It's the only daily accounting fintech show out there. We really appreciate you sponsoring us, being with us, reviewing us, thanking us. You, our commercial partners, you, our listeners. Remember, you can tune into Saturday's bonus episode as well. We're going through a series right now on the price is right, tackling that very tricky subject for accountants on how do you price right? How do you price confidently? How do you price in when your clients will value what you're putting in front of them and be willing to pay for that? So loads of great stuff going on. Keep tuning in. Keep sharing it with your friends. Do leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to on. And thank you for tuning in. We'll see you on next week's show. This is the Accounting Influencers Podcast with Rob Brown and Martin Bissett.